Hello, and welcome to the Marketing Experiments Web Clinic Audio Replay Podcast. Marketing Experiments is an internet marketing research laboratory. The web clinic you are about to hear was broadcast live to an international audience of marketing professionals. Sign up to be invited to future web clinics, as well as gain access to all of our online marketing research at marketingexperiments.com. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Andy Mott from Marketing Experiments. Uh, welcome to another web clinic. We are very excited to share some good information with you today. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about a very popular and hot topic in marketing, which is one-to-one marketing. We're going to break this down into four levels, and uh, hopefully you'll walk away from today's clinic with a lot greater insight and also feeling a lot better about yourself, uh, depending on where your one-to-one efforts are. So uh, we're very excited about this, and thanks very much for joining us. As always, we want to start with our house cleaning item, uh, which is to join the conversation uh, with us in a number of ways, uh, which is to either uh, go to Twitter and follow the hashtag web clinic uh, so you can uh, monitor the conversation. We've got folks here that are on the web clinic watching us uh, in there on Twitter. And, of course, you can always use the Q&A feature of GoToWebinar if you want to ask us a question. We uh, have been doing really great with audience participation over the last few clinics, and we're very excited to, uh, to continue to do that and answer as many questions that come in via Twitter or via the Q&A feature as we can. So today's team, uh, again, my, I'm here. My name is Andy Mott, Senior Manager of Research Partnerships at Marketing Experiments. Uh, we've got Bob Kemper, who is on his, uh, still on his comeback tour to the Marketing Experiments web clinic. We're very happy to have him. Uh, we've got my colleague from the research team, Adam Lapp, uh, is here to talk about uh, uh, one of our case studies and share some, uh, some additional insights. And for the very first time, we've got Adam Davis, our director of technology. We did have to darken the room and give him two, two liters of Mountain Dew to get him to come to the web clinic, but uh, we're very fortunate to have him here and really looking forward to his content. Of course, uh, I have to apologize now for making fun of an IT st- uh, stereotype, but what kind of online marketer would I be if I didn't make fun of IT at least at some point during this clinic? So let's go ahead and dive in and talk about what we're going to be covering today. Uh, we're going to look at four different case studies today that are focused on improving one-to-one marketing. Uh, we're also going to be looking at uh, four levels of application based on the different kinds of resources and capabilities that you have in your, uh, in your organization. So we know not everybody has unlimited money and unlimited time. So we're going to talk about uh, where you are on this spectrum and how you can get the most out of it. Uh, we are going to talk specifically about strategic steps that you can use to take the data you have about your customer and turn that into, into insights. Uh, we're going to, we've brought Adam along here, Adam Davis, to talk about how to work with IT to increase your one-to-one marketing capabilities. So we want to start uh, maybe thinking about IT as a more collaborative business partner instead of a, maybe an adversarial relationship that we sometimes have with the IT department. Not that that ever happens at marketing experiments. Uh, and, of course, we're going to ask the age-old question, what does the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy Grail have to do with one-to-one marketing? Really know that that's been a burning question on all of your minds, and we're really looking forward to answering it today. So let's open by leveling the playing field and, uh, and having a definition of what we're talking about when we're talking about one-to-one marketing. So uh, one-to-one marketing is, is a segment of one. As we go through our customer segmentation activities, if we continue to do it and continue to slice and dice our customers, eventually this is one of those kinds of things that does have an end. When you get to 
every detailed piece of information about every single one of your customers as an individual, then you are at the very end of one-to-one of -one marketing. So let's take a look at this uh, in, in a little visual. So on one extreme, we've got the person over here with a megaphone. That is uh, how a lot of us have been marketing for our, for our entire careers. We're shouting the same message out, out to everyone. Now, uh, we have heard a lot about one-to-one -one marketing and personalization and relevance and customization. So we understand that giving the same message to everyone all the time is not going to be the most effective thing. And if you read marketing blogs and if you go to marketing conferences, one-to-one -one is a very, very popular uh, buzzword that's out there in online marketing right now. And so we can all feel like, gosh, I have, to, I have to slice and dice my data more. I have to get to the end. I have to make sure every customer is getting a, a personalized, customized experience. And that's a good goal, but that's not really practical for everybody. So what we're going to focus on in today's web clinic is what we're calling one-to-end marketing, which means that for every organization, there is a place between one message for everybody and one message for each individual person that's going to be just right for you. Uh, and so as we go through the content we have today, we're going to talk about the kinds of things you can think about and the kinds of things you can do to increase your capabilities and find where you belong on this trajectory between a one-to-many and a one-to-one -one message. So I want to look into two key factors that we're, that we're going to be talking about today. So these are the components that are going to really determine uh, what level of personalization you can have with your customers and how personalized you can make this conversation. The first one is customer insight. And you, uh, if you've been an attendee at the Marketing Experiments Web Clinics for any period of time, you hear us talk a lot about things like customer insight and knowing more about your customer and understanding their motivation and communicating with them in a, in a conversational way. But one thing I really want to make clear here is that we are not talking about having volumes of data. Customer insight is not the same as having a mountain of data that you couldn't ever possibly hope to get through. It's having information about your customers that's usable and actionable and is giving you real value in your marketing programs every single day. So we're going to talk about the difference between those two things, and that's what Bob is here to talk about today. We're also going to talk about internal capabilities. Uh, as I said earlier, not everybody has unlimited money and unlimited time, uh, but we have an objective. We've all got real business goals that we have to achieve at the end of the day, and so we need to understand how far we can stretch our resources and what we can really do to drive our business goals forward and, and think about a, a holistic solutions-oriented way to accomplish this personalized individual messaging at that one-to-end point on the trajectory that's going to be best for us. So we're going to dive a little bit more into internal capabilities. So here we've got these two capabilities on an axis. So on the x-axis, we've got customer insight. On the y-axis, we've got internal capabilities going from less to more. And on this, there are four quadrants that we're going to talk about today. So the first quadrant is what we're going to call the Michael Scott quadrant. Uh, not a lot of customer insight, certainly not a lot of internal capabilities. For our international audience who may not be familiar with The Office, I strongly encourage you to go to iTunes and download uh, a couple uh, episodes of it because it's hilarious. So the Michael Scott quadrant, not a lot of insight, not a lot of internal capabilities. The next quadrant, we're going to use a little bit of artistic license here, and we're going to pretend that the Star Wars prequels were never made and that we never saw that Yoda has extreme butt-kicking capabilities, like we saw in, I think it was, uh, Revenge of the Sith. Uh, 
so we're going to pretend that Yoda was still a puppet and not computer animated for the purposes of this, uh, uh, of this example. So that is a good example of somebody who's got lots of insight, lots of wisdom and knowledge, but really not a lot of capabilities to do anything with it. The next quadrant is the Hulk quadrant. This is where you're super strong, you've got all the tools and data in the world, and your company wants to do nothing but pour more money into, into tools and stuff, but you have no way to really use those tools and get the most out of them, or really maybe no idea where to start, uh, what kind of data you should be using to drive your marketing messaging, and what you can do to increase the amount of segmentation and customization that you're giving for all of your, of your customers. And the final one, here's the answer to that cliffhanger question at the beginning, uh, the Indiana Jones quadrant. What's Indiana Jones? He, he is a whip cracker in every figurative and literal sense of the world. Professor, PhD, plus he's, uh, he can shoot you from the top of a horse. He can uh, use his whip to go over a canyon. He can uh, fight off a lion using nothing but a whip and a chair on a moving train. He's an amazing guy. That's where we all want to be, in the Indiana Jones quadrant. So... What I want to do right now is open this up to you who are viewing our web clinic. Tell us what kind, uh, where you are in your organization. So we're going to open a poll here in the GoToWebinar, and I'd like you just now to vote. Where would you place your organization in our quadrants? Little Insight Feed Capabilities, Michael Scott. Little Insight Many Capabilities, that's the Hulk. A lot of Insight Feed Capabilities, that's Yoda. Or a lot of Insight and Many Capabilities, that is Indiana Jones. So here is the result. We've got the winner, 44%, at a lot of insight but few capabilities. So lots of Yodas out there. That's okay. We're, we've got some great information for you today. That's actually uh, a really good place to be. I think uh, Adam Davis's content today is really going to help you out. In second place, we've got uh, Michael Scott. We've got little insight, few capabilities, 26%. Uh, and then 20% of you with a little inside many capabilities with the Hulk, and 11% at the top of the mountain, a lot of insight many capabilities. So for you 11% that are, that are doing this perfect right now, make sure you uh, join the conversation at uh, hashtag web clinic and uh, use your Q&A feature to tell us if we're missing anything. So let's uh, move back into what we've got here. We're going to talk about level one. So for the 26% of you that had uh, little insight and few capabilities, uh, we've got some uh, case study to show you. So this is one of, also one of our favorite quotes from The Office, maybe next time you'll estimate me. Uh, if, you, if, if you've never heard that before, quite hilarious, strongly recommend The Office. Okay, so let's take a look at our, uh, our experiment. So this comes from our research library. This was a test we did with one of our uh, partners recently. It was a B2B company that offered industrial equipment. Uh, they wanted to increase the number of requests or quotes that, they, that were requested from their customers for cranes. And so our research question was, which page and quote process will generate the most leads? Let's take a look at the, at the control. This was the experience they had, first of all. So using the Q&A feature of GoToWebinar, tell me how many of you can see the call to action on this. I, I'm, the, the, the sound of silence is deafening in my ears, right? No one can see the real call to action on here because it, it's, it's tough to see. So this is a small company. Uh, they had little customer, customer insight and little internal capabilities. And, and what I mean there by having little customer insight is not to say that they didn't know a lot about what their, who their customers were or what they needed, but they didn't necessarily know how to translate that knowledge into, uh, into behavior online and manipulating the behaviors they wanted to see. 
So, but without these resources, we were still able to do something uh, that improves the conversation that's happening on this, on this page. So let's take a look a little closer. There's the call to action. So if anybody, if anybody was able to pick it out of there, you're a, you're a genius. Uh, that's where they wanted people to do. Click on there and request a quote and then go down into the quote form. So uh, let's look a little closer here on the quote form. Very standard. Tons and tons of white space between the questions and the, uh, and the form fields. That can be a little confusing. That's a friction element. Uh, lots of fields to be filled out. Uh, there are, um, uh, you know, there, that is also another friction element. Uh, actually, let me go ahead and ask uh, Adam Lapp from our research team to uh, maybe add a couple comments of problems that he sees here on this page. Sure. So, you know, one thing that we don't know about these customers is any kind of behavioral data, anything that they want to buy. I mean, these are brand new customers coming to the page. And if they are motivated to click through, uh, they're immediately hit with, as you can see, a very cold, a very impersonal uh, submission form. Um, it's, it's just a lot of effort. It doesn't really particularly meet the needs of you know, individual customers. It's kind of a standard catch-all uh, one form fit all type of page, and so um, you know there there are several fields on here that you'll see, such as boom length, uh, such as you know height, as uh, you know capacity. These are questions that are, that are just very difficult for you know your typical customer to answer. And so, how can we market uh, more closely to uh, individual customers rather than a one uh, sort of catch-all net? That's, uh, th that's a great question, and, and uh, in this particular case, we were able to answer that with an experiment. So let's take a look at, uh, at what we were able to do. So here is the new landing page. Uh, Adam, do you want to walk us through this? Sure. So you'll immediately see that the, ch the, the tone has changed itself. Um, it's, it's warmer. It's welcome to. It's your free quote. It's how can we help you? How can we build uh, a crane that is customized for you? So immediately it's a shorter form, so it's easier. Um, but the main point that you should see is it's let us build a, a, a crane for you. So they start by saying the exact crane type that they need, and they begin moving on to a more personal, more customizable quote process. And although it's mostly the same fields, there are not many fields that were removed, um, the perception of the form is that it's, it's a form for me, made for me, and not for everybody else out there. It's a, it's a friendlier process. It's, a, uh, it's the, the configurator approach uh, that we have, uh, have used in, in a couple instances when it's appropriate for our research partners. And so you can see here that with the same kind of information before, we had free-flowing open form fields. So they would ask questions like, what is the height under boom you need? And you were supposed to fill that out uh, as if you knew them. And so with a couple other changes, like making this drop-downs instead of open fields for you to type information in, it becomes a, a friendlier, more, more conversational approach, as if you were sitting across the desk from a crane expert who is asking you the types of questions that they would ask you, trying to understand your requirements. So you answer the uh, first couple of questions. You click proceed. You get another set of questions. It's, uh, it's a very conversational approach. Uh, on through to the very final step of the form, uh, this is, as I said before, it, it's an online version of the personal representative understanding your needs when it comes to a crane. So let's take a look at the, uh, the before and after. So the control, uh, we had the invisible call to action. 
the daunting uh, form fields uh, with, uh, with free typing information in there, and the treatment has the configurator approach. So what were the results? There you go, 109% increase in conversions. So not just 109% increase of, of conversions, but the new process also increased the number of leads by 135%, 134.7 to be exact. So there were people who entered the form and put their name and email address in there, but didn't, figure the, didn't finish the configurator process that the sales team or marketing team could also uh, reach out to and continue to nurture until they were ready into their buying uh, mode. So what's the key principle from this? Uh, what, what does this have to do with one-to-one -one marketing, I think, is, uh, is a good question. And the answer is this. Even if you're a small company and you don't have a lot of, uh, of money to throw at an analytics program and you don't have a lot of stuff uh, uh, going on as far as being able to deliver these targeted experiences with technology or software, there are things that you can do to have a conversation with your customers and make them feel like they are having an individualized, customized experience that's going to be specific to their needs. So let's take, let's take a little bit of, uh, of time and talk about how simple the approach can be to having a conversation. So looking at the backbone of everything that we do here at Marketing Experiments in terms of landing page optimization, let, let's just break this down a little bit. So we're, when we're thinking about motivation, do we, are, are we using the information we have about where our customer is coming from to deliver an experience that they're expecting? Are we using the information that we've got about what their motivation is, their search terms, their referring page, where, whatever they might have been doing before they arrived here, to deliver that, that conversational message? Um, are we able to match the offer that we have to what motivates the visitor? You know, are we trying to sell uh, swimsuits to people in December, or are we doing a better job of, of matching people's needs and motivations with the offer that we're giving? In terms of clarity of the value proposition, are, are, we, are we being clear about what kind of problem our product or service solves? Are we, are we really stating what it is, or have we gotten so deep into the, into the weeds of thinking that we have to have this super persuasive copy and hire the world's best, most persuasive copywriter that we've forgotten that, it's our, that our product and its value, or our service and its value, should really be the thing that does most of the selling rather than persuasive language? So in friction and incentive, have we removed any distractions? Have we removed unnecessary exit point? Have we reduced the number of links even in certain cases? We'll talk a little bit more about that later, about how uh, removing links can sometimes improve performance. Uh, or do you have these free-flowing form fields with a bunch of white space in between like our last uh, example had and making it more difficult for your customer than it has to? And, and also, are you treating your customer like a person? Are you marketing to them or are you communicating with them? Customers want to be spoken to. We've said this before a lot of times. What, what's the first thing you do when you go to, uh, when you're looking at a product on Amazon.com, right? Scroll to the bottom and look at, the, at what other people are saying about it because that's more conversational than, any, than most of the marketing that's out there. So let's remember that we need to be treating our customers like, uh, uh, like, a, like a person rather than a self-promoting, braggadocious person. All right. Let's move on into, into level two, where we're, there's lots of Yodas out there, so we're going we're gonna to be talking specifically to you. A lot of insight, few capabilities. And for our uh, commenter that said that Yoda doesn't have very many capabilities, that that was harsh, I know. It's okay. We're taking a little artistic license here. Uh, so, Adam, this is one of your case studies. I'd like to invite you back in and talk a little bit more about this case study. 
Sure. So this is a uh, a, a case study uh, with a, a community um, of about 10 million users. And uh, our goal here was to convert longtime free users who uh, we had predetermined would probably never, ever, ever convert to subscribers. Our goal was to, uh, to analyze those people, target message, messages to them, and eventually convert those to paid subscribers. Um, so the research question would be, how will targeted email sends affect uh, these paid upgrades? Um, so, as I mentioned, there's about 10 to 12 million total users and a very small select group of paid users. Uh, but after we did a deep data dive, uh, we realized that, hey, there, there, are a little, there is a little segment of, of free users that behaves very, very similarly to, to those paid users. Um, so how can we slice and dice the data? How can we take what we know um, and all of the accumulations of data that we've, we've got over the years, and how can we market more effectively to them to eventually get them to, to be paid users. And so here's an example of, of the data we were, we were able to pull. We were actually able to pull um, you know, hundreds of lines, but these are sort of the, the main key points that we focused on. And we saw that uh, your, your, your freeloader, your, your, your uh, free user that behaves like a subscriber, and takes all the advantages of the account like a subscriber, um, has been around actually longer than a subscriber. Uh, they have more expressions, more high fives, uh, more page views. Um, and so not only do they behave like a subscriber, they actually uh, take more advantages of the account than a subscriber does. So how can we market to them like a subscriber um, and actually get money from them um, uh, that we should be getting? So here's a message that uh, we, we knew that uh, the target audience was, um, they had over 100 expressions. Uh, so this is a little piece of information that we knew. So how can we target this group of uh, you know, 20 or so thousand users that had over 100 expressions? How can we create a message that spoke directly to them with this little piece of information uh, and try to convince them, persuade them to open an account? So you'll see that the message isn't about all the great account features that you can get with as being a subscriber. It is strictly focused on that having over 100 expressions and uh, upgrading uh, to a subscriber account so you can take more advantages of the subscriber features um, for people like that. I would also like to point out here that this is the worldwide debut of the LOL gerbil. So if you're getting sick of cats, here you go. There's something else uh, uh, for you to see. And the next message was uh, very similar to the other. Um, instead of having you know, 100 uh, expressions, it was 100 high fives. And so this is a different audience. And there may have been some overlap, but uh, definitely we were going after a completely different target here. And the target, we let them know that, hey, because you have 100 high fives, there's this cool new tool that uh, subscribers get that allow you to, to be make better use of those high fives. And so we marketed directly to them with that direct message, and we were able to uh, get a substantial amount of uh, conversions out of these. And so I think the key point from this is that um, you know, we proactively sought out these key groups, and we proactively uh, looked for, for data and sliced and diced it chose different particular segments and then matched the messages to those segments. 
and these were visit these were these were free users that we had estimated will never ever um, subscribe and by marketing to them more on a one to one basis we were able to get uh, a lot more subscribers out of them so I, I think that uh, one one uh, important thing to take away from this is that this is not a super technologically advanced solution uh, that they tried to do. They just had the data, and then they were able to do some very, I would even call it rudimentary segmentation to be able to send this information out. And I know that it's very easy for us you know, here at Marketing Experiments to say we sliced and diced the data, but it's very different to be able to apply that in the real world. So uh, asking the question, how can we gain more insight into our visitors uh, is an important question that we'd like to at least try to help, uh, help you understand today. And so I'll invite uh, Bob Kemper uh, to tell us a little bit more about how we can gain more insights into our visitors. Great. Thanks, Andy. Um, the, uh, there are actually uh, four steps um, in the process of, um, of getting deeper uh, customer insight. Um, and the steps are uh, inventorying the data you already have, uh, mapping out any inferences that you can make from the data that already exists, um, determining what's realistically knowable and uh, planning out the path uh, to your optimal position um, along that, um, along that, uh, that spectrum, that continuum. So beginning with step one, um, the first thing you need to do is inventory the data that you're already collecting. Um, certainly, uh, virtually every business uh, has some data um, about, uh, about their customers and about transactions. Uh, you have uh, an accounting uh, system that keeps track of revenue. Um, you have um, a list of, um, of customers. Uh, even if you don't have um, yeah, an advanced system like a, a customer relationship management system, um, you, uh, you have operational data, you have custom, uh, customer data, you have accounting data um, that allows you to gain some insights um, both about your customers uh, and then um, in terms of your marketing efforts, um, you have, um, if you uh, if you advertise, uh, if you market on uh, the web, you've got web metrics and uh, you have search campaign uh, statistics. Uh, and uh, from each of those, you can gain uh, individual um, pieces of data, you know, little, little bits of the, uh, of the overall puzzle um, that you can combine into, um, uh, into deeper insights. And uh, moving to step two, um, next thing we want to do is, uh, is map out uh, insights, which means uh, you know, we can uh, start to get clues about, uh, uh, about our customers by looking at patterns among the data, by combining uh, data from these different sources and beginning to, uh, to look at patterns. Um, we can start to get some insights about uh, who our customers are, about their, um, about their behaviors, um, and, uh, and about their mo motivations. Um, you know, of course, it's dangerous to make any presumptions about an individual person uh, based on any, any single attribute. You know, um, for example, uh, you know, uh, it would be dangerous to presume that because uh, someone's last name is, is Wu or, or Chang that they uh, were born in China or live in China. But by combining attributes across uh, you know, s several um, data sources, um, like um, combining a name with um, like IP geolocation information, um, a channel source, you know what uh, channel they came from, um, you know search terms that led them to your site, um, and doing it across uh, many many visitors, you can start to make some inferences 
uh, or, or guesses about uh, their attributes and, and their motivations um, as, as a segment. Bob, how many of these elements here do you think that you have to have to, be, to have a minimum amount of segmentation? Does it take all of these, or can you do it with less than these six or seven that are listed here? Well, you can begin with uh, something as simple as, um, um, as customer uh, information. Um, um, if you know who your current customers are, uh, then you have a sense for um, uh, some of the attributes. Uh, certainly you know when they came in. You know what marketing campaigns were uh, occurring at the time when they came in. And by merging data um, from your marketing campaigns, your, um, your web metrics, um, and things about prospects with the customers who came in during that interval, then you have a sense um, for um, what it is about your current marketing um, that is being successful, um, and you can get, uh, make some inferences about um, who your ideal customers are. Okay. So it is, it is something that most marketers who have any kind of, uh, of transactional database or any type of web metric system should be able to get one or two of these pieces of information and just try to compare them and, and look and see if there's, any, uh, if there's any similarities between the two and begin the segmentation journey there? Yes, absolutely. Okay, great. All right, so then um, um, you move on to, uh, to step three, uh, which is determining what's realistically knowable. So you know what it is that you already know. You know what you're collecting. Uh, you know what systems that you already have in place. Uh, your next step is to um, figure out for, for you uh, in your business um, and um, your industry, uh, what can you realistically know about your customers? Um, you, uh, uh, you know, uh, for instance, uh, uh, if you're a large equipment manufacturer, uh, you have an opportunity to learn a whole lot about your customers because uh, typically there's, um, there's a lead uh, development process, um, a pro proposal development process, um, you know, th um, there's a, a delivery and installation process, um, and, and then there's an ongoing relationship uh, having to do with maintenance and parts and upgrades. Um, so uh, typically you'll have uh, an account representative. Um, and, um, you know, and each customer and each sales worth a, a tremendous amount uh, to the business. So it makes sense to know and, and to treat each uh, customer as an individual. Um, on something closer to the other end of the spectrum, um, say you're an e-commerce uh, retailer, um, you know, you may, um, you may not know much more about your customers than their name, uh, shipping and billing address, and... Um, and their product and purchase history with your company. Um, so, um, you know, the, uh, what is realistically knowable for an e-commerce uh, retailer is, um, is very different. Uh, but that isn't necessarily a problem. I mean, uh, uh, I mean for instance, um, if, you were, um, uh, if you were Boeing, uh, you know, the um, Boeing aircraft um, has... Um, uh, delivers about um, uh, well fewer than 500 aircraft uh, per year uh, to a total of um, uh, well let's see in, in the last five years they've had um, roughly a hundred distinct customers um, and 90 percent of their revenue comes from fewer than 20 so um, you know for for Boeing uh, it makes uh, a lot of sense for them to, to know a great deal uh, about each of their customers 
uh, toward the other end, uh, there is um, there's Overstock, um, Overstock.com. Uh, you know, did about um, 877 million dollars in sales to let's just say for the sake of argument about a, a million distinct customers. You know, most of them are individual consumers. So, um, you know, what is realistic for for them to know about each individual customer is uh, is very different um, from from that of Boeing. So, Bob, would you say that uh, it, it's reasonable to say that? Uh, anybody can sit down and write a list of things you'd love to know about your customers, but it's important to sit down and, and say, okay, what can I really know today, and what can I do to, uh, what can I, or how can I make that data actionable? Is that the exercise we should be going through at this step? Yes, yes, and, and in fact, that's uh, that leads us to step four uh, in the process, which is uh, planning your path from where you are to your optimal position. Uh, along that continuum, um, you know the, the key to finding your optimal place is at the nexus of three elements. Um, you know, one is um, what you all already know. That's the steps one and two. Uh, what's realistically knowable? Um, step three, um, and then what tools and and uh, technology are available to move you from where you are to the next step uh, in the continuum. Um, so that. Um, uh, um, you know, it's a, it's a um, simple standard um, business decision-making process consisting of uh, five steps. Uh, first is to research the tools and technologies that are out there, what they can do, uh, and, uh, and their costs. Um, then, uh, based upon what you learn from identifying what's, uh, what's available to you, is identify um, uh, the foreseeable endpoint uh, for you and your options for, uh, for getting uh, to that place. Um, then estimate the costs among all the alternatives that you identify. Um, and, then, and then you need to take a step back because certainly um, the, the customer intimacy process, the one-to-one -one marketing process, is not the only thing um, that you have available in, in your marketing efforts to, to drive profitable uh, demand. So you need to take a step back and, and look at uh, the next step in uh, this process and prioritize it um, against all the other um, uh, marketing initiatives that, that you have going um, and, uh, and look at your options. Then uh, presuming that it does make sense for you to go to, uh, to the next step, um, then you want to plan uh, your, your optimal path there. I mean, one canary indicator that you can use um, is, uh, you know, once the, the um, marginal increase in cost for you to go to the next level of customer int intimacy uh, outpaces the, uh, the resulting increase in net income, then you've reached the end um, of your one-to-one -one marketing journey, at least for now until something changes about uh, technology options and, and the cost. So a good takeaway here is to say that uh there are a number of, of bullets in the marketer's gun that they can fire, and one-to-one -one marketing, even though it's very popular right now, is one that should be carefully considered in the entire marketing mix that you have. Is that Would that be an accurate restatement? It certainly would. Okay, great. Uh, we had a couple of questions, a couple of housekeeping items, uh, questions from the audience. Uh, these slides will be available. This uh, uh, web clinic it's in, in its entirety will be available 
I believe it's uh, next week um, on uh, Thursday is when we will have this web clinic available. And you can either uh, watch it, uh, a recording of this, or you can listen to it in our audio podcast. You can read a summary of it on our blog. There's lots of ways to get the information here. So if you didn't get an opportunity to take all the notes you wanted to take during uh, Bob's section, uh, you will have an opportunity to listen to it again and get everything, uh, get all the content in there. Uh, one other quick question from uh, Jennifer uh, is asking about whether or not customer surveys should be a part of this. And uh, I'll go ahead and, and uh, just take a stab at that question. Uh, customer sur- surveys can be a, a valuable piece of information or that you can use to learn about your customers. But what we have found is that, number one, the penetration rate of surveys is typically extremely low. So if you've got a survey on your, on your website where you have a little pop-up, hey, can we ask you a, a few questions when you're done? We're going to open a new tab or, you know, take 30 seconds to answer our question. Think about your own behavior, uh, what you do when you see one of those. I know I don't jump at the opportunity to take all the surveys that I can. So we've got low penetration. And also, people will, we have, we have observed this happen where people will say one thing and do another. So people speak most loudly with their behavior. And you're able to measure and monitor and analyze behavior and get better insights out of behavior than I think you would ever be able to, to, to get. So, Bob, did you have thoughts on that? Uh, yes. Uh, um, two items. One is, uh, as you said, um, in terms of uh, surveys, um, you have a self-selection um, process. So the people who decide to um, respond to surveys um, is, is a source of bias um, for the results uh, that you gain from them. Um, and, and second, you can do uh, things like focus groups and uh, you know, there are ways that you can gain greater customer insight um, that you know, some of which are, are quite expensive and you wouldn't do frequently. So the, the real value, although they, uh, they provide you value in terms of a point in time picture, if you have no idea, um, you know, they provide you a point in time of uh, factors that are important. Uh, one thing you need to keep in mind is that uh, things that you're gathering dynamically are of greater value because the world does not stay static. Right. And, and so insights that you gain today may or may not be valuable. Certainly as time moves on, the probability that they'll stay um, uh, valid. Great. Thanks, Bob, very much. I uh, appreciate it. We're going to... Uh, uh, hopefully, for the Yodas out there in the audience, we, we gave you a lot of uh, information to, uh, to think about. Uh, Adam, did you want to add something on the, on the survey question? I just wanted to add one thought to that when we talk about surveys, and that's that um, there's, we're talking throughout this presentation about creating and maintaining a conversation with your, with your customers, and there's a fine line to be had between conversation and interrogation. So if we're going to use surveys or any other static tools, even on a web page, you want to make sure that you're using those to foster more of a conversation rather than making the the visitor feel like you're just trying to suck the information out of them. Hear that? It's an IT guy advocating for the customer. It is possible. That's right. You just, first time ever here on the Marketing Experiments Web Clinic. Of course, I'm just kidding, Adam. Appreciate you uh, not, you know, beating me up after the clinic's over. So uh, let's move into the next level and talk about, uh, about our hoax out there with little insight but, but many capabilities. These are the, the companies that may have invested a lot of money in tools and then handed it off to one person in the marketing department to try and figure everything out that has to happen and get everything done. So 
We've actually got uh, another experiment here that we want to run through. This one came from our Marketing Sherpa uh, research library. So our friends at Marketing Sherpa allowed us to borrow this case study to help us uh, illustrate this point. Uh, this is a newsletter from a telecommunications company uh, whose primary question of their test is, will personalized dynamic content increase the amount of interaction by newsletter recipients? So well, let's take a look at the background. The first thing this company decided to do was to design uh, a series of email templates or, or really put together one template that organized different customizable content into sections. So they've got their custom account details, they've got news items, monthly tips, customer perks, uh, and we'll show you uh, all of these uh, items here in example in just a moment. And then they just took the most basic level of customer data to create content for each section. So, so they took the customer's name, which I'm sure we're all customizing our emails with name by, by now, uh, which n now just makes this one tiny little voice in the crowd. So if that's the only thing you're doing for customization, you're effectively doing nothing. Sorry, sorry to say. Uh, but then they took the zip code and then the product that they had purchased to deliver relevant messaging for that. So let's take a uh, look at this dynamic template. Uh, right here, the, the customer account information was right there, uh, right there in the uh, in the right column, and also a picture of their handset was there uh, to increase uh, relevance so people know that this is individually customized to them and their account. Uh, that was the top of the email. Scrolling down a little bit, this is the middle of the email, where in the account details section, there was also a network coverage map and any updates that have been happening recently, as well as plan upgrades and any accessories that they might recommend. So it's customized information and, of course, an upsell opportunity, even though this is a newsletter, into plan upgrades and accessories that, were, that could be recommended to the customer. News items were standard. Uh, this was where co the company would launch new products, and so that was, uh, that was very standard. Everybody got that. Uh, then at the bottom, there's three more sections that has customer tip based on your handset or type of coverage plan that you had, which is really good for this one so that you're not going to get a tip that tells you about, you know, download these great new apps if uh, you have a uh, Motorola Razor from, you know, 2002 or something like that. Uh, perks based on their location. This particular perk was a uh, 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 survivor contest for people who were in the Los Angeles area where they were doing the uh, survivor finale taping. Uh, and then also interactive features were, were customized to the, to the uh, type of handset and type of equipment they had. So they were talking about giving ringtones here, so doing an incentivized survey uh, by giving away free ringtones. And you could only see this if you could take advantage of it. So check out this result. 100% increase in click-through rate with this redesigned, customized email. And we're not talking about super deep customer segmentation. We're talking about name, zip code, and the product they purchased. So a relatively small amount of data uh, but, but, you know, used in a way to uh, deliver a conversational, really personalized message. Now, where are they on the spectrum? Is this company all the way at the end of, are they having one individual conversation with one person? No, there could be lots of Andes in zip code 32003 that have a, you know, iPhone, for example. So, so they aren't all the way at one spectrum, but they're in that one to N. They have found what that N stands for for them and understood what a certain level of personalization will get them. 100% increase in click-through rate. Also, uh, it's easy to glaze over, but I want to point out that uh, this generated more than double the number of phone purchases and plan upgrades than prior promotional emails. So that's where the rubber really hits the road, right? Click-through rate's okay, but it's not as good as selling plan upgrades or new phones. So uh, pretty powerful information there. So here's a good question that we have a guest speaker on to answer for us. 
how can we work with IT to grow our internal one-to-one marketing capabilities? So you've heard of him before. Uh, you, uh, you heard him speak a moment ago, Adam Davis, uh, Director of IT here at uh, Marketing Experiments. Uh, Adam, why don't you help us answer this question? Thank you, Andy. So let's uh, start looking at how we can grow our internal capabilities for delivering on some of these marketing objectives. Um, you see my quote there on the screen. I think there's probably something deeply narcissistic about reading my own quote uh, in a presentation, so I'll, I'll just let you read that on your own, but I'll tell you that the shorter version of that quote, if you're time-pressed, is simply beware vendor solutions that promise immediate or seamless deployment. Uh, or for that matter, I suppose you can even beware your own internal sponsors who think that they can achieve the same objectives with immediate or seamless deployment. Uh, but what I'd like to do now is we'll, we'll, tr we'll go through a bit of a, a continuum that we have that describes the options that you might have in front of you. So the continuum that I have moves from left to right. On, on one hand, we have the third-party software and tools. Uh, there's a proliferation of these out there. We don't have the time or the means to really go through all of them in any deep detail, but you've seen a lot of them that promise a, a, all types of different segmentation capabilities and, and portals that you can use through their software-as-a-service models that, that magically work by dropping a bit of code here or there. Uh, and, of course, on the other end of the spectrum, you have good old-fashioned IT application development. And I'm sure that that brings up thoughts of joy and happiness in your mind when you think about going back to your IT team and asking them to either build you a new marketing application or make significant changes to the marketing applications that they've already built for you in the past. And in our experience at Marketing Experiments, that is usually only a five-minute conversation, and we're able to see results from that in, in a week or less. And hopefully that's the exact same experience that everybody out there in our audience is, is having. Well, I always deliver great results because I always just say no. So I can't, <laughs> I can't get any worse results than that, so I'm, I'm right at baseline. You, you see, guys, I told you he was from IT. So we have, the, we have a, a spectrum there, or, or two, two ends of the continuum, if you will. Uh, generally speaking, your third-party software tools are going to be faster and easier in general, although there are some caveats, of course. Your internal development work is usually considered to be much more arduous. Um, if we look at some of the other factors, the third-party tools, again, will typically take less setup time, assuming that you are somewhat familiar with the process so that you know where to put the little snippets of code that they need. Uh, they typically require less IT help and, of course, much more IT help if you're doing full-scale application development. Uh, the third-party tools, I'm going to say, are less flexible because, of course, what you get with full-scale application development is that if you have oh, 18 months to deliver this campaign and you have $5 million, well, ultimately, we can deliver whatever you want. Uh, <laughs> I doubt you really, you really have that in your campaign right now, so sometimes you will give up some of that flexibility for the agility that you get with some of these third-party tools. And there is at least a potential here for some performance issues. Uh, if you have to drop the JavaScript onto some of your pages for one or two of these tools, you're typically not going to see any notice, noticeable difference in performance. We've certainly run into some clients that have a proliferation of magic JavaScript tags that have been stuck all over their pages, <laughs> and that can have at least some incremental draw on performance because every one of those little JavaScript snippets is usually making a call out to other external servers that are managed by your software-as-a-service vendors, whereas the internal application development is typically going to be hitting your own internal server, your own internal database or databases, and that's going to be a faster and more efficient uh, call. The, 
location, where you fit, uh, it, it, whether or not you want to go fully on the left side with a bunch of third-party tools or whether you want to go fully on the right side or somewhere in the middle uh, with application development rests on a couple of key factors. Uh, they will exist, or they will rest on your existing site's functionality. If you have a site that is deep with a lot of custom functionality, then if you want to alter that functionality, you may have no choice but to go begging back to IT to make those changes. Uh, you do need to, uh, it's also dependent upon your need to incorporate data from existing web or marketing systems. So if you have a proliferation of systems that you're already using, maybe from a bunch of different vendors, and you're trying to tie all that data together, then another third-party vendor's tool is probably not going to just be able to seamlessly drop in and tie that data together without IT help. Uh, your existing site infrastructure, uh, and then, of course, some, some uh, politicking with regards to your corporate data policies. Some corporations just say, no, we're not going to call out to all these other servers, uh, your budget and your marketing deadlines. But the, the, the final takeaway here on this slide is that there is no magic third-party tool that will automatically connect to and grab data from and save data to your databases. So if you are trying to uh, extensively manipulate the information that is in your corporate databases, if you want to uh, add a lot more data on your customers to those databases or customize information based on information or based on, on uh, the data out of those databases, you might have no choice but to get a little more extensively into IT. And the, the, this is what we want to present as something as a middle-of-the-road solution. And I want to point this out because I'm afraid that too often uh, the marketing teams end up in a position where they, they see the content management system as a, as a transactional tool that allows them to post pages, edit existing pages, and take down pages. And they, too often it sits in that, in that finite little space. But in fact, uh, a content management system, if it's configured properly, can offer a lot more functionality than that. And if you have a content management system in place, you want to at least think of this as a potential tool that you can use to drive some of your one-to-one -one marketing because many of the tools that are out there now, whether they're open source content management systems like uh, Drupal or Joomla or whether they're large proprietary systems from vendors, allow you to create templates and pieces of uh, uh, content that can actually be driven by factors such as the cookies that are already on the, the, the client's browser, uh, the channel that they've come in on, the URL variables that were presented from that channel. Uh, any existing database preferences that, they ha that they've uh, specified, for example, if they've logged in. A lot of times you can create templates in your content management system that will actually then, uh, once they're created, allow you to more dynamically market and manipulate your, con manipulate your content for your marketing campaign and target it to your users. The biggest caveat that you have to remember with regards to the content management system uh, is that it's, it's still not a magic solution. You will have to put more effort into creating the proper templates for your content on the front end uh, with the hope, of course, that once you've created those, those uh, templates, your uh, subsequent work will be much less. And, of course, if you don't have a content management system in place already or if your content management system is rather antiquated, then it, just trying to uh, deliver one or two marketing campaigns is probably not going to be suffic sufficient justification for you to go out and try to instantiate and install a brand new content management system. These are, this is really a, a probably a good middle-of-the-road solution for someone who is firmly ensconced in the CMS camp. Now, uh, 
we're really lucky at Marketing Experiments to have a technology team that's as committed to our mission of discovering what really works in online marketing as, as everybody on the research team. And I know that's not a reality for, for everybody. But one, one little piece that I'd like to add here is that the, the best way to, you know, try and present a solution that is going to actually uh, wade through the, the mire of, uh, of all of the, uh, of the uh, roadblocks that can possibly be out there for implementing new IT solutions is to learn more about the IT side. Learn about, from, as a marketer, learn more about what kind of things they're looking for. Are they looking for flexibility? Are they looking for ease of use? They meaning your technology team. Are they looking for uh, security? And it, I think it's just a reality for us to say we're not going to get IT to learn about marketing. So we have to control what we can control and learn at least a little bit about the IT and sort of put ourselves in their head so that we can, when we're bringing a solution to the table, not just say, well, it's this solution, we think it's great and it costs X thousand dollars, but to say, these are the considerations we've thought and this is a holistically best choice for our, for our organization. One more thing I'll just add in that very quickly as well is that you will get a lot more play with your IT team if you involve them on the front end of these decision-making processes when you're planning your marketing campaign or if you are evaluating the potential use of these third-party tools because there's nothing that uh, inspires more uh, angst in the IT department than finding out that some other department like marketing just went out and paid for some third-party tool that's supposed to be magic and oh here you go now now you have to put the easy little tags on the site and come to find out it may not be as easy as the vendor vendor propositioned it to be. Yeah, it's uh, the second most angst-creating problem in IT other than running out of Diet Coke. All right, let's move on to talking a little bit about, uh, about Level 4, about our Indiana Joneses out there. Uh, lots of insight, many capabilities, and we've got a case study to show you here uh, from, uh, uh, from our Indiana Jones camp. This one uh, came from our friends at Thin Data One to One. Uh, this is in their research library. Uh, they had a major airline that was uh, doing a customer newsletter, uh, and the airline wanted to increase the amount of click-through that's coming from that newsletter, and they wanted to ask the same question as our telecommunications partner. Uh, what can we do with personalization and adding one-to-one -one elements to increase the amount of interaction in the newsletter? So here's the original. Uh, this is, we alluded to this earlier, the only thing they're doing here in one-to-one -one is putting a person's name in there. And, and sorry, folks, but that is not, having a communication with your customer if that's the only level of customization that you have. Everything else on here is generic. They have good information about their customers, but they weren't using it. And in this particular case, it's blurred out near the bottom, but you can see that all possible flights are shown. So they've known where their customers have flown to before. They know where they've, where they've gotten. This is uh, talking to Bob's point earlier, uh, but they just still put everything out there without using that relatively simple level of customization that, that they can have. So here is a look at a, a before and after of the redesign, and we'll go ahead and dive a little deeper into the, uh, into the redesign so you can see those elements a little better. So this included uh, customer choice tools. This was like a, a preference center that's right up at the top of the email newsletter. So customers had an opportunity to see right when they first opened this that, hey, I can control this in a way. I can be the one who decides what level of communication and what level of information that I'm, I'm provided here. Uh, so this was also built on a, this entire new campaign was built on a template meant to be scalable so that as they learn additional information, uh, they are able to uh, use that and give a greater customized experience uh, to their customers. So based on the uh, 
elements that they have from the customer in the preference center. They're able to customize, you know, flights that they wanted to see. Uh, they wanted to, you know, based on uh, previous purchase history, they're able to show, like, favorite destinations. Um, and this design also eliminates uh, uh, any kind of offers which subscribers have not responded to. So it reduces the clutter, it reduces the friction, it delivers a relevant uh, uh, piece of information here. And I don't know if Las Vegas is your favorite destination. It sure is one of mine. Uh, but So that was probably a safe bet, even if you're not uh, customizing. But uh, in this case, if you have somebody who flies from Orlando to Las Vegas a lot, there's no reason to show them cheap flights to Bangor, Maine. Okay, so there's the before, uh, and there's the after. Uh, you guys think this uh, this got a big result? Think this think this worked? Uh, I'm sure you do. Otherwise, would we show it? 21% increase in click through. Uh, that's a good metric. And this is a company that is, this isn't their first foray into optimization. Uh, the first thing, the first email that they had was one that they had uh, likely done a lot of work on getting the most performance they could get out of. But adding a layer of personalization and increasing the the customization that uh, that they're able to have with the customer and and having a one-to-one -one conversation in, in this case, where this is the closest to all the way to one-to-one -one that we've seen today, they got an increase of click-through by 21%. And another easy-to-overlook but very important uh, point here is that they reduced the overall unsubscribe rate by more than 60%. Amazing. So they're keeping a lot more people in their email funnel. So those who didn't purchase today will have an opportunity to purchase again tomorrow. So let's summarize what we've talked about today. So let's be honest with ourselves. One-to-one -one marketing is a huge buzzword right now, but it may not be something that's either possible or really reasonable for any of us to expect ourselves to be able to do. So the, the thing that we need to do is find the best place on, the, on that spectrum, define that N variable in one-to-N marketing to determine how much customization we should do. Uh, the, the marginal increase in cost to go to the next level of customer intimacy will will outpace the increase in net income at some point. And when it does that, you know you're where you should be. Now, focus on the two key factors we've been talking about all afternoon, customer insight and internal capabilities. Invest where you think it's most important for you to invest. If, you've got, if you're Yoda and you need, to, you need some more capabilities, make a strategic decision. If you're the Hulk, uh, make a decision to learn more about, about your customers. So any movement on this path to one-to-one -to -one marketing can be pretty amazing results. Uh, think back to the telecommunications partner that had uh, double the number of, uh, uh, of, of purchases from customization, even though they were doing an email newsletter. So I'd like to say a very special thanks to our friends at Marketing Sherpa and our friends at Thin Data One to One uh, for sharing their great information today. Uh, we are not, we do not have a, a one to one or a, a one to one. See, it's on my mind. We don't have an ROI tour uh, promotion to tell you today because we are going to be uh, visiting our friends in the north in Toronto tomorrow. So if you're in Toronto and you uh, will be visiting us tomorrow, we're looking forward to meeting you. Uh, and uh, hopefully we'll have more dates to announce for our, uh, our marketing experiments and Marketing Sherpa and InTouch uh, ROI tour to come. As always, thank you very much for spending a valuable hour with us. Uh, if you need more information or want to hear more about some of the training opportunities we have, I encourage you to go to marketingexperiments.com slash training. And of course, none of, none of this research would be possible if we didn't have real companies that we were able to conduct this research with on a daily basis. So please visit marketingexperiments.com slash partners and find out whether or not it makes sense for your organization to work directly with the Marketing Experiments team in a research project. 
So we hope you this has been valuable. We thank you very much for learning a lot about one-to-one -one marketing today. Find your optimal spot on that, uh, on that continuum, and uh, you will get the most out of personalization for your organization. Thanks, and have a great afternoon. Thank you for listening to this recording of a Marketing Experiments live web clinic. You can sign up to receive invites to future live web clinics, as well as receive access to $10 million worth of Internet marketing research at marketingexperiments.com. Thank you.